years. Stay standing for just a moment, and we are uh, going to read our New Testament lesson for today and our scripture passage for our sermon, and then we'll reflect and move to the table. Our service is a little condensed and shortened, so we're not going to have intermission uh, if you were hoping for that to get a refill while I'm preaching. It won't offend me. Um, but so, yeah, let's read from Hebrews chapter t- uh, 2. Verses 10 through 18. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. But the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says... I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, He is able to help those who are being tempted. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. You guys can have a seat. As we read this passage, I hope, and and reflect on it and move towards the table, and we miss our UAB section right here, so I'll just stand like this most of the time. Anna, boys, I love you guys. Um, I I hope that we can uh, find ourselves reflecting and opening our ears and our hearts this morning for what the Lord would have for us. And maybe this morning and in the new year to come. But I remind us that though it is New Year's Day, we sit still as the people of God and in the church at large in what is still the Christmas season. We sang Christmas hymns this morning for a reason. Our Christmas tree would be up if there wasn't a wedding in the space last night. Uh, But there's this reason we want to sit in. And I think for many of you, you know that it's sometimes difficult to sit in that sustained celebrating You find yourself, at least I find myself, becoming weary, kind of burdened. Uh, It feels forced, manufactured, fake to continue to try to celebrate. We move on. We say to one another this morning, Happy New Year, or Happy New Year's Day, or where does the apostrophe go? Any English majors? It's after the S, right? Because it's today is the New Year's Day. So do I always need a definitive article? Anyways. (laughs) And also, go dogs. Thank you, Judah. Yes. Uh, we're worshiping and we're celebrating on New Year's Day, acknowledging this, that we're trying to stay in, that we're trying to continue to find ourselves doing. And it is good for us on a day like New Year's to, to remind ourselves that even though we declare as the church that the church calendar has already begun, we declare and name that we uh, are here with the rest of the culture, the rest of the world, and to find ourselves in these moments to ask, what would the Lord have for us? How can we continue to examine our routines and our rhythms? 
And we do so, though, avoiding the temptation to not rush into the practicality of it all. To not rush into the moving on, but to continue to sit and let the reality of Christ coming and his incarnation overwhelm us. I think that it's easy for me, I found myself walking around the last couple of days, trying to remind myself that we as the people of God still sit in the Christmas season. And oftentimes it would feel kind of, I don't know, like I said it was weird earlier, forced, but it also feels kind of like just strange, but I think it's supposed to. We talked about the realities of Advent when we began to celebrate that there is this tension between this expectation and this longing that we find ourselves looking towards in the beginning of December and yet simultaneously we find ourselves at Christmas parties and and holiday parties and doing all these different things and this advent peopleness that we carry this reality that we are always in the midst of advent as the people of God in between the two comings continues even in a celebration season We find ourselves longing to to celebrate and yet also feeling distant and disconnected from it. We never truly escape these realities. And so too do we become this both and, even in our joy, even in our celebration. And so that's much of what our passage is talking about this morning from Hebrews That even as time changes, as seasons come and go, as as the realities of what we maybe feel or don't feel fade or wane or or are more tangible, the reality of it is, is that there is a truth about who we are and what we are supposed to be. There's a truth about what we're named as, what we're given to. And our passage in Hebrews gives to the importance of the incarnation that it is naming us and calling us the brothers and sisters of Christ. That even when we don't feel like it, that even when we are uh, far off from that, when our realities or our mental maps tell us a different story or narrative, what we acknowledge and what we know to be true is that we are heirs, co-heirs in Christ. And this is the importance of the incarnation. But not only in our passage in Hebrews do we see the importance and the profundity of the incarnation of Jesus, but we get a little glimpse into the future of what is to come for Christ. We celebrate the beauty and the excitement and the joy that is his coming, that is his putting on flesh, that is his taking up residence in our neighborhoods, in our lives. And we do so in this knowing that there is pain and suffering for Christ to come. And the pain and suffering, I oftentimes say, began in this moment. I think for Jesus, Christmas, in some ways, uh, that celebration of his birth, the moment in the manger, is this moment when we see that he, at that point, has been separated in a way that he never had for eternity's past. His suffering, his acquaintance with grief, hardship, pain, turmoil, his acquaintance with what it means to struggle to find themselves laboring and toiling. He never knew this, and he knows this as soon as he comes. And so the gift that we receive comes with a price. It comes with something that is to be recognized. And the author of Hebrews tells us that it is in this suffering, in this pain of Christ, that we find the completion of what God had always intended to be true. It is fitting And that bringing all of creation to glory, that God, for whom 
and through whom everything exists should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. It's a picture into in a, a peek behind the reality of what we oftentimes see, that this celebration that we're doing, this joy, that it is not free. It is not simply just something that we can chalk up to nostalgia or good feelings or, or kind of positivity as we've talked about. But in that, this future, this ability to peek into the, what is coming for Jesus is also an ability for us to see what is coming for our lives, our paths, that as we celebrate, as we find joy and hope in what Christ is doing, in his coming, in his completion of all things, it is a recognition that we too, or it is implied in throughout the entire book, that we are to share in that. That there is a death that will be asked of us. That there is something that we are going to be called to give up to let go of, to, to allow the Lord to take from us, that there is pain and suffering that we will also have to find or face. I don't think that's the typical New Year's Day sermon that we often want to hear. Normally, uh, at least socially, I would say, culturally, the, the, the move is either to be completely cynical towards New Year's Day and to be like, it's just another day, don't create all of these different like goals and you know whatever just, just it's just move on with your life you're all going to break it by the end of January anyways so like what's it even matter we give ourselves the cynicism and jadedness or it's like new year new me best year ever the best is yet to come your life is before you you can biohack and uh, you know do all of these things to make yourself the greatest version that you can possibly be if you'll only subscribe to my Patreon account, like it's yours, it's, it's yours for the taking. And so th there's this tension and the church stands in the middle of that and says, you're right. There is this inability. It is just another day. You, in some sense, are a product of what you kind of do again and again. And yet there is a newness and a life and an abundance that is available for you. But it is through Christ, and it will ask something of you. It will not be free and easy. It will not be cheap. But it will take pain. It, it will take time. It will take repetitiveness. It will take rhythms and routines that set these things into place and into action. And this is what the author of Hebrews is saying to us, that you, dear reader, right? You, believer, you are being placed into this family of God. And you are doing so because of his suffering and his pain and his incarnation. But you must also share in this. To name it, to face it, to preview our path. And I think what's beautiful about this is that oftentimes for us, we think of these really kind of like easy things. I think of letting maybe some, some small dreams die, things that we know. There are all of these ways that I know that materialism... And, and the American dream infiltrate, infiltrate my desires and my longings. And those are easy to name. But I think when we start to think about what Christ is doing and taking on our guilt, taking on our shame, that he's asking for us to face a different kind of pain and struggle. The boys over the Christmas break watched Sing 2 for the first time, and so uh, they've now been introduced to the joys of U2. 
you know, the good YouTube that's from the 80s, uh, not, you know, 2000, the one that got forced onto your iPhone a few years ago. Like, not that YouTube, the good one. And we were listening to it, and, and we were hearing uh, on repeat that I still haven't found what I'm looking for, that they sing in the middle of it. And I was reminded of this, that there's the line from Bono in there that he says that you took on my shame. And so often when we think about what Christ took on in his pain and his suffering, what Christ took on to free us from, that fear of death, we think of it as this guilt, these transgressions, these things we must confess of, these things we must walk away from, and we know those to be true. But for so many of us in this room, we've chosen that path. We've named who we're going to follow. We've recognized sin. But I think that the invitation that the Lord would have for us, that the Spirit would have for us this morning is to recognize that what Christ did in that moment when he took on the shame and the suffering, when he looked into that pain, he is naming you worthy. We've been talking about this since all the way back into July when we went through Exodus, that so much of what we do instantaneously to be the descendants of Abraham, the sons of Adam and the daughters of Eve, to be human is for us to hide and to cover ourselves, to remove ourselves. And in that shame, we go into isolation. And whether you are a Christian or not, we understand through psychotherapy and all of these different things that when you are in that moment of shame, what it takes for you to be brought out of it is for someone to come and find you. You will not walk out of shame on your own. And this is what God does immediately in the garden with Adam. Adam and Eve sin, and he says, where are you? And he comes to them. And in the incarnation of Jesus, he comes to us in our shame, in our pain, in our suffering. And he takes it on and he is acquainted with it so that we no longer have to fear these deaths. This death that humanity experienced in the garden, we no longer are asked to taste of it in the same kind of way, though we know we will. We still experience it. We know shame. We are acquainted with it. We know suffering in this kind of way. We know the fear of being exposed to being vulnerable, to being finite, even though this is not what we were intended to be. And Christ, the perfecter of our salvation, comes to give us our end, to bring us to completion of what it was meant to be, which is fullness and abundance and life in him. Joy, hope, peace, love, the things we've said and repeated again and again for the last four weeks, this is what we are called to. And Christ completes this for us and sets us at the table to receive from it, to be heirs, brothers and sisters with him. He creates for a space for us to be bold, to dream the dreams that Christ would have us dream to long and desire the things that Christ and the Spirit would have us to desire. To come to a place where we do not hide, where we do not sit covering ourselves up, but we come boldly to Christ and to God as Christ intercedes for us as our great high priest, where we have freedom to step into the light and out of the darkness. And here's what I'm trying to tell you. This all sounds happy, clappy, motivational New Year's Day, but the reality of it is, is that this is really, really painful because what it will ask of you is to face your shame and your pain head on. It will ask of you to go back to your story. It will ask of you to expose yourself, to make yourself vulnerable. It will ask of you to be willing to look death in the eyes 
and to be willing to die that one death so that the thousand tiny deaths no longer have to be your experience and your reality. But you must die. You must experience it. You must name it. You must go into the pain and the suffering as Christ did. But the promise that we hold on to and that we cling to is this, this reality that we are brothers and sisters with Christ, co-heirs in the inheritance of the kingdom of God, that we sit at the table even with him knowing all the truths of who we are, the realities of our shortcomings and our failures, the things that inside of you, no matter how cleaned up and perfect your life may seem, I know I have them, I am sure you do too. You have the things that you say, but if anybody actually knew that about me, if anybody was aware of that thing, they wouldn't trust me. In the business world, we just name it imposter syndrome. This reality that, is that we joke as adults that you realize that, oh, now that I'm a parent and now that I'm an adult, now that I'm in the working world, I realize that everybody was just faking it. Everybody was just as like, confused and messed up as I was. We had all this trust, all these ideas that everybody had the world figured out, and then you become an adult and you realize nobody has the world figured out. But you must face it. You must go into it so that Christ can be present with you and you begin to live in a different kind of way. You begin to live free of this weight and this burden and you find yourself deep in the abundant life, the fullness of life. You find yourself living into who you were meant to be. You find yourself becoming who you are and intended to be in Christ, in this completion as we move to the table and begin to think about communion, the band's going to come up and play a song and we'll do it like we always do. We grab an element, bread in the cup, and go back to your seats and hold on to them and I'll come up and lead us in the taking, in the reception. But to sneak one last uh, movie reference and, and Christmas movie moment in, uh, I've been sitting on this one since we watched it the very first Sunday uh, after Thanksgiving. Our family watched the the illumination grinch i almost said the illuminati grinch but you know i mean whatever but the illumination grinch uh, the newest and, and most uh, recent animated version it's become our favorite it's a family staple at our house we listen to the songs all, all christmas season long and we're just sitting down it's like the fourth time we've fifth time we've watched it as a family over the last few years and there's this scene at the end if you've seen the Illumination Grinch, you know what I'm talking about. If you've seen this version, and Cindy Lou who walks all the way up this mountain. No one asks her to. No one tells her to. She does it out of this desire to do something. She walks up the mountain, up the steps, in the cold, and the snow, up to the Grinch, and she knocks on the door, and the Grinch comes to the door, and he says, what are you doing here? She says, I've come to invite you to dinner. And, she says, and, and the Grinch looks at her, and he says, Why? And she says, well, because you should come to Christmas. It's Christmas. You, sh you should come to dinner. And he says, don't you know what I did? Don't you know that I stole Christmas? I tried to ruin this day for you. Don't you know who I am? And we know the story of the Grinch well enough to know that the Grinch has lived in isolation and shame his whole life. Whatever version, whatever uh, movie, books, aspect of it that you've read... The consistent theme is that something traumatic, something shameful, something harmful happened to the Grinch that should not have happened, that he should not have experienced. And he lives with that his whole life. And he causes his heart to shrink down three sizes too small. 
And it causes him to go off and to live in isolation on his own because he's unwilling to face the pain that he faced in those moments. He's unwilling to come and to step in front of those people and to say, I experienced this pain, I experienced this suffering, and maybe it's not what it's supposed to be. He says, no, 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 my experience of it, that's reality, and Christmas is terrible, and nobody should celebrate it, and he hates it his whole life, right? And there's this moment, Cindy Lou who knocks on the door, invites him, and he says, don't you know what I've done? I've stolen Christmas. You shouldn't invite me. Don't you know who I am? And she looks at him, and she says, it's okay. You've been alone long enough. You need to come to dinner. And the whole thing switches, right? I'm, it's the Sunday after Thanksgiving, and I'm downstairs in the basement just like weeping. And the boys are like, what, what's wrong? Like, why are you crying? And I'm like, it's the gospel in the Grinch. Because it is. And that's the invitation. In this celebration, when we think about the incarnation of God, we all know that feeling. We know that experience. And to sustain a celebration, to sustain joy, to sustain the ability to sit and to wander and, and to, to find yourself caught up in the grandeur and the beauty and the hope of what it means that Christ came and was incarnate and that we now sit as brothers and sisters, it's difficult. It asks something of us. It asks us to face that pain, to be willing to hope, to be willing to find joy when it doesn't seem possible. Because I think the Holy Spirit is saying to us this morning, in whatever ways we've been hiding, isolating, covering up, that the reality of it is, is that we've been alone long enough. You've been isolated long enough. And the hope and the reality and the depths and the truth of this celebration and this joy is deeper than any of the pain that we've experienced. Any of the ways it's fallen short, that we are being called back to it, but we can only do it together. We cannot dig ourselves out of this. It's this way that we gather here to celebrate and to worship that pulls each other out of these moments. And in the way that Christ came to be incarnate, to bring us out of it, we then live as the church doing this for one another. So as the band plays, come, take the piece of the bread, the cup, reflect on what it means in this moment that as we talk about creating space for Christ, that we recognize that first and foremost that he has created space for us despite our shame. Despite who we feel and think we might be, he has created space for us to come and to be a part of the family of God. Think and ponder on what it might be that the Holy Spirit would have for you this morning. What places is he calling you to face? What pains is he asking you to go back to? And where is he asking you to have radical hope and joy when it feels impossible? When it feels like there's no way because there's no way this thing that I'm feeling could ever be overcome. And ask the Holy Spirit to invade that moment in your life. To invade that space. To allow you to feel the joy of what Christmas is meant to be and to sustain you into the season that comes. So come and receive the gifts of God for the people of God. Amen.